uh, our hearts go out to your family, Fred, and the passing of your dad. And uh, please know that you have our prayers. And uh, and I, I love that God's word includes grief, and even our Lord wept over people that He loved. And so you're definitely in our prayers, and I wanted you to know that today. Well, thank you, worship team, and uh, thank you for stretching us and teaching us new things. Oh, praise the name of the Lord our God. What an incredible idea. You know, um, we're studying Second Peter, and in Second Peter, you have the last words of Peter to us. And in the last words of Peter, his greatest concern is that we get Jesus right. That's his concern. His concern is that our knowledge of Jesus Christ will lead us to live in truth. Remember last week when he talked about this just really fascinating idea. He says that God is divine and that as we as believers get to know God, we partake in the divine as we live out the knowledge of the truth that we should. There is another reason why I think Peter's writing this, and another part of the reason why he's writing this is because Peter realized that he was the last living apostle at this time, okay? Of the twelve, the original eleven. He, uh, he realized that there were already people who were in church that were attacking the things that the apostles said, but more importantly, they were attacking truth. He realized that that was already going on. So he wants us to grow in knowledge and understand truth, but he's also very concerned that we understand that not everybody has that as their agenda. Not everybody has the agenda of wanting to make sure we live right and we get his word right. And so he starts by reminding us in the last half of chapter 1 in 2 Peter about just some of those realities of him knowing God. Here's what he says first of all. For we did not cleverly devise myths when we made known to you the power of the coming of the Lord, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Let's read the whole passage together. For, we, for when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the, by the majestic glory, I'll, I'll go ahead and read it. I'll just read the passage and you can follow along. This is my beloved Son. With him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until dawn, the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For prophecy was 
ever produced, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but man spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. But false prophets also rose among the people, just as there were false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality. Because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation was from long ago. Their, their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy gar- darkness to be kept until the judgment, if he did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness, with seven others when he brought a flood upon the whole world of the ungodly, if by turning the cities in Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, his condemnation, he condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. And if he rescued righteous Lot, greatly distressed by the sensuous conduct of the wicked. For as that righteous men lived among them day by day, he was tormented. He was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials, to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment. And especially those who indulge in the lust of defiling passion and despising authority, bold and willful, they do not tremble as they blaspheme the glorious ones. Whereas angels, though greater in might and power, do not pronounce a blasphemous judgment against them before the Lord. But these, like irrational animals, creatures of instinct, born to be caught and destroyed, blaspheming of the about matters of which they are ignorant, will also be destroyed in their destruction. Suffering wrong as a wage for their wrongdoing, they count it pleasure to, re- to revel in the daytime. They are blots and blemishes reveling in their deceptions while they feast with you. They have eyes full of adultery, insatiable for sin. They entice unsteady souls. They have hearts trained in greed, accursed children forsaking the right way they have gone astray they have followed the way of Balaam the son of Beor who loved to gain for wrongdoing but was rebuked for his own transgression a speechless donkey spoke with a human voice and restrained the prophet's madness these are waterless springs misdriven by a storm For them, the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved. For speaking loud boasts of folly, they entice by sensual passions of the flesh those who are barely escaping from those who live in error. They promise them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. For whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. For if, 
after they had escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, they again are entangled in them and overcome. The last state has become worse for them than the first. For it would have been better for them to never have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to turn back from the holy commandment delivered to them. What the proverb says has happened to them. The dog returns to its own vomit. And the sow, after watching herself, returns to wallow in the mire. I read the whole passage because I wanted you to feel it. But now let's, let's break it down and let's talk about what he's saying here. He starts by telling us something. We're talking today about the fact that we have to protect the truth that lives inside of us. We have to protect it. Okay? It, it is so easy to, to move from truth. You know, the statement is true that says when bad gets worse, bad doesn't look so bad. And if you look at even the habits of your old life, there are things that you would have never done 20 years ago that sometimes now in this more wicked society that we live in, we find ourselves dipping our toe a little bit in places we would have never dipped our toe before. We've got to protect truth. And so in protecting truth, first of all, he tells us some facts. First, he says, we apostles are eyewitnesses. He's telling you, I'm not making this story up. I'm not embellishing the life of Jesus Christ. I'm just telling you what I saw. That's what the Gospels all are about. The Gospels, the four of them, are eyewitness accounts of what truly happened in the life of Christ. In John chapter 20, it says, these things were written that you might believe that Jesus is Christ, the Son of God. So he starts by telling them that. Because see, all of a sudden there are these people coming into the church and they were saying, you know, Peter and those other original disciples, they're a little intense. I think we can take a little different approach. I don't really think that's what they meant. You know, as I've thought about it more, it makes more sense that this is how it would sound. They never went out and said, hi, I'm here to stand against the eyewitnesses. No, it's never like that. It's more subtle. You know, it's kind of like the original temptation. Did God really say? You know, I think God's trying to hold back on you a little bit. The apostles are just holding some stuff back. He said, we did not follow clever devised myths. When we made known to you the power of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. We, we didn't make this stuff up. We didn't make the story better. I, Nancy occasionally will say, you know, sometimes your stories get better over time. No, they, they, they just told the plain truth, they weren't trying to be clever. They weren't trying to be interesting. They were just simply excited. And, and so he takes probably one of the most interesting experiences that he had with Jesus Christ, and he gives us it as an example. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my Son, with him I am well pleased, we ourselves heard the very voice born from heaven, 
for we were on with him on the holy mountain. Remember when Jesus took, he took Peter, James, and John aside and he said, hey, I want you to go on a hike with me. Okay? And we don't, we don't know which mountain it is. I think part of the reason we don't know which mountain it is is because if we did, there'd be a whole bunch of people that would have done what Peter tried to do that day. You know? So they went to the top of the mountain, and all of a sudden the veil that was covering the glory of Jesus Christ was removed, and they saw him in all of his glory. They didn't just see him, but who else showed up that day? Moses was there, right? Elijah was there. Peter was so excited. He goes, this is so awesome. We need to build a memorial. We'll build three houses. One for you, Jesus. We'll have the Jesus house. You know, and then next to it, we'll have the Moses house. And next to it, we'll have the Elijah house. You know? It'll be just like the mall in Washington, D.C. You know? But that wasn't the point, was it, that day? That wasn't what God was doing that day. But he's saying, we were eyewitnesses to these things. We didn't make up that story. That story really happened. But he says, more than just being eyewitnesses, we're biblicists. Okay? I thought I made up this word, but then I looked it up in the dictionary, and it's a real word. It's people of the book. He said, not only did we tell you what we saw and heard from Jesus, it says, and we having we we have we have something more sure. He's saying, we had something more sure than what we saw. We had the prophetic word. You know, when he talks about that, he's not talking about the New Testament. He's not talking about stuff that he and Paul and other people wrote. He's talking about the Old Testament. Remember when Jesus was on the road to Emmaus? What did Jesus do to explain who he was to the two disciples on the Emmaus road? He told them the word. He says, to which you do well to pay attention to a lamp shining in the darkness. You know, it's interesting to me that sometimes the people that I argue the most about with the word of God don't actually read it. But he's saying, we, we were apostles. We not only were eyewitnesses, but we were biblicists. Because we realized that God had already given us the light. You see, you probably have heard this before. Even recently, a popular Christian teacher said it. We don't need to spend a lot of time in the Old Testament. That's not what he was saying. He's saying, we knew that what Jesus said was real because of what God had already said in his word. They lined up. And every one of you has had that experience before. Remember reading the word of God before you were saved and it was just like, ah, oh, this doesn't make any sense at all. This is, you know? But now all of a sudden you read the word and it's like, oh, wow, that's amazing. Why? Because the light's on now, right? The dawn has come. And God has changed your lives. And he says, I want you to know something. We were two things. We were eyewitnesses. But we were biblicists. Because there's something that you need to be aware of. 
there's a problem and he starts talking about it right away in the next chapter he says but false teachers also arose among the people just as there will be false teachers among you he's saying hey you need to realize something even though i i I want you to know god but there are going to be people that are going to try to give you a different picture of god They're going to be false teachers. And just as there were false teachers in the Old Testament, and over and over again, you you see these pictures of false teachers and the true prophets at the same time, don't you? And, And like Isaiah, Isaiah was not very popular. Remember when we read about him and we studied him? Isaiah would be telling the truth, but then there'd be these other false prophets, right? These other people. And and they would tell people more what they like to hear. And so they'd go. I think we're going with the other guys because Isaiah is kind of a downer. I don't like what he's saying. And so in the next couple of verses, he starts describing what these false prophets are like. If you read on in verse 1, it says, they, they are people who secretly bring destructive heresies, even denying the master who brought them. First of all, the thing that we need to know about false teachers is that they're truth changers. You know, God didn't really say that. Oh, I, I know that for almost 2,000 years, the Word of God seems to plainly say this, but now that we're smarter, we've taken a look at those verses again, and we think that Christianity's gotten it wrong for 2,000 years. This is what was really meant, and this is what was said. That's what cults are, aren't they? They're correcting. They, they, they really sincerely think they're correcting things that are wrong. Okay? Seems to be a problem, so God gave us a new book. We want to share it with you, and we're going to add some to the ideas that you've had about Jesus. Or, oh, now that we've read some and, and we've taken a look at this, we realize that some of your ideas about Jesus aren't correct. So we're going to just take away some of those ideas. You know, the thing that's interesting is the original man that was condemned by the church as a heretic thought he was just doing the church a favor. You know? He was just trying to explain the Trinity. Make it a little bit easier. And says, I think this is a good way to explain this. He was just trying to be helpful. But all of a sudden, they realized that he was being harmful. To what? The truth of God's Word. So the first thing they are, is they're going to change the truth. The second thing it goes on, it says this about them. And many will follow their sensuality. Okay, Not only will they change the truth, but in the way they live, they have a self-indulgence and they give people permission to have self-indulgence. It speaks specifically of sexual self-indulgence. Saying, oh, in your freedom in Christ, you, you don't have to follow those rules anymore. You know, uh, Because God is love. Have you heard this one at all? 
Because God is love, there's no way that He would condemn this as long as it's a loving relationship, even though it isn't defined the same way as He's defined it since Genesis chapter 1. There's a a self-indulgence there. They, They give you permission to not be virtuous. You read on and it says this, and because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. You know, we don't use the word blasphemy very much. It's kind of a biblical word, but it means to mock. They're they're truth mockers. (laughs) You know? That's not that big a deal. I know God's word seemed to see this, but I think we're just making too big a deal out of it. It's okay if you do just a little bit. I, I still remember the speaker that came to camp and the kids, one of the kids sincerely saying, is it wrong for me to eat food while I'm at the store even that didn't get weighed? And I can remember the speaker said, that's not that big a deal. And I can remember wanting to crawl over all the pews and go to him. It's a big deal. Because the only reason that kid's asking that question is because the Holy Spirit told him to stop eating grapes. <laughs> and all of a sudden, you're taking what he is doing and he is being convicted of. You don't bring up ideas if you think they're right. You bring up ideas because you're concerned that maybe you're wrong. But they all of a sudden mock that. And we are filled with a world of people who claim to be believers and mock belief. They mock the truth. And it's no different than that first sin in the garden. God did not really mean that. They're self-promoters. And their greed, they will exploit you with false words. You know, it's interesting that there have been two kinds of pastors removed over the last five years in the church. There's been one kind that's been removed for their immoral actions. But there's been another group that has been removed from some pretty prominent churches in the United States for their exploitation of their authority. In the process of kind of promoting themselves, they treated people well. And prominent people in Christianity have been removed from office. And it wasn't because of immorality. It was because of arrogance. In their greed, they will exploit you with false words. But if you look at those verses, it says that they are going to be condemned. And they're bringing on themselves swift destruction. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle. And their destruction is not asleep. Because sometimes I think that one of the lies that we can buy into is it seems like they're getting away with it. That's not true. You see, truth isn't just an idea. Truth is a person. 
When Jesus Christ declared who he was, he says, I am the way, right? That's the first thing he said. But the second thing he said, I am the truth. And so if you're denying truth, you're not denying an idea. You're denying a person. You know, that's why sometimes we as parents take things so personally. Because when our kids deny what we believe, they're denying us. Right? Because we take it personally. Then he gives some examples. So here's what we know about false teachers. They're not biblicists, okay? They're truth changers. The Word of God would call them heretics, okay? They're truth mockers. The Word of God would call them blasphemers. They're not virtuous. Remember, challenged... Think about the challenge last week. He told us to live virtuous lives, right? So that we could partake in the divine, but they're not virtuous. They're self-indulgent and they're self-promoters. And so he's telling us these things because he wants us to know these things because these people are messing with the thing that he loves more than any other thing, which is Jesus Christ. It's not that you're messing with me. It's just that you're messing with the one that I want everybody to love. And I want them to love Him well. I want them to grow in grace and in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And they are messing with that. They're messing with it. He says that this is important because of just the history of the Bible. He goes on and says this, why are they condemned? They're condemned because God didn't spare the angels. Did He? For if God did not spare the angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the day of judgment. You know, that was about self-promotion. What, what, did, what did the devil say? The devil was in the presence of God. He reflected God's glory, and he decided it wasn't God's glory, but it was his glory. And he said, I will ascend. I am not a creature created by God. I am God. Self-promotion. A heresy. You know, think about how crazy that is. If you read the description of what Satan looked like, it said that his body was reflective. So the thing that he was impressed with wasn't even himself. It was God whose presence he was in. And he got it wrong. Occasionally we get to, the glory of God gets to flow through us. As vessels, we partake in the divine. And we have to be really careful at that point to not go, I am awesome. Because we are not us. God is. And we get to partake in that, and it's such a privilege. But the angels were condemned. That's why false teachers are condemned. The ancient world was condemned. You know, if you read in the story of Noah, as he was trying to explain what God was doing, they made fun of him for 120 years. They mocked the truth because more than a builder, more than a carpenter, he was a preacher. And he told them the truth. You need to repent and change because God is going to judge us. And he's going to judge us in a way that he has never judged before. And they said, 
He's not going to do that because it's never happened before. In my understanding of things, that doesn't make any sense. No way, you're nuts. What are you building? A boat for what? For something that's never happened? They mocked him. But he spared Noah, a herald of righteousness. You know? And seven others when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. Why are they condemned? Because God did not spare Sodom and Gomorrah. If turning the cities of if by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes he condemned them with extinction, making them an example of what was going to happen to the ungodly. And we know that story well. They were given to such sensuality that when the angels came to warn Lot, they wanted to molest those angels. And Lot, of all craziness, offered his daughters instead. Crazy, crazy times. And they were condemned for living outside of the boundaries of what God understood to be righteous intimacy. We live in a world right now that thinks they can legislate in the United States of America and change what is the law of God and it doesn't work. And because of their sensuality, they wanted to change the rules. And that's what they do today. You see it inside the church. You see, you see it inside the church. I, I have talked to even clergy who say, as long as people are in a committed, loving relationship, it doesn't matter what it looks like, except for God's Word says, for a man shall leave his mother and father and cling to his wife. God created it this way. And they're trying to say, no, we were created another way. He rescued Lot, though, didn't he? It says, if he rescued Lot, greater, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked, for it was, for as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormented. He was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard. Here's the key, though. God will rescue the godly. In fact, we should probably change the word there. God will rescue the truth seeker. Then God, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials. But goes on and says this, and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment. God will punish unrighteousness. We need to know that. You see, here's one of the things that's so scary about this. If truth changes, then what is sin changes? You realize that? And then all of a sudden we, we change why we need a Savior. That's, that's really kind of scary. So then there's all of a sudden a whole group of people that says, well, because my truth is different, I don't need to be saved from this. Because according to my truth, this isn't sin. 
And so what are they ultimately mocking? They're mocking the cross of Jesus Christ. They're mocking the salvation of God. They're mocking the, the, the very thing that God did for us. He knew that our sin was separating us from Him. And they're saying, no, not really. We need to look at sin differently. We're getting it wrong. You see, ultimately, Peter realized that when they mocked these things, they were ultimately mocking the sacrifice that God made for them. I'll explain it in a simple way. I went to a large high school, and the girl that was sitting next to me when we graduated, I had never seen in my four years there. I didn't really know who she was. But you make small talk, and you chat, right? So I'm sitting next to her, and this guy is walking forward to get his diploma. And I always thought that guy was kind of goofy and kind of a little nutty. And so in my small talk with this girl sitting next to me at graduation, I mentioned my personal thoughts about the guy walking forward who happens to be her boyfriend. She didn't talk to me the rest of the graduation. She's not my friend on Facebook. Listen to this. This is what Paul is talking about. Paul was sitting next to people. that were minimizing the cross and the sacrifice of Jesus. They were trusting the truth that he had eyewitness to and that he had seen through the prophets that God used to give us the truth. And it bothered him. Because he was minimizing the people's need for the very thing that Jesus Christ did. They needed salvation. But when we minimize sin of any kind, we end up minimizing the cross. And he goes on to explain, in these little letters, I'm just kind of explaining which one of the four parts of being a false prophet. Have you figured that one out? So SI stands for Sexual for sensual and you know self indulgence. TM, TM stands for those that that mock the truth, and especially those who indulge in the lust of defiling passion and despising authority. Because see, God's word is authority, and if we mock it, we're basically mocking God's authority. You know, bold and willful, they do not tremble as they blaspheme the glory ones they're not even bothered by it have you ever heard somebody you know kind of say things that are inappropriate and it just bothers you but you look over at them they're not bothered at all 
goes on in the next verse and it says, Whereas the angels, though greater in might and power, do not pronounce a blasphemous judgment against them before God. Isn't this interesting? It says that even the angels, as they watch all this garbage going on here, there's no trash talking at the throne of Jesus Christ. They, they, they don't even dare speak disparagingly because they realize that God created the very people that they are mocking. Hmm. <clears throat> it's the contrast that's there. And you know what? i got to tell you, this is where we've gotten it wrong. In the, in the process of being truth seekers, sometimes we spend a lot of time, and, I, and I, I'm walking the edge even as I speak of some of the things that concern me, we spend a lot of time mocking those people that don't understand truth. That don't get it right. And I think our ilk of Christianity, although that we might have been aware of the truth, the way we treated people, and the tones and the attitudes that we had, were wrong. He goes on and says this. They keep talking. They're like irrational animals. Creatures of instinct. Born to be caught and destroyed. Blaspheming matters of which they are ignorant. They're just basically saying, well, the Bible doesn't really say that. Well, that's in the book of Leviticus. Have you heard that one before? That's in the book of Leviticus. We don't follow all the rules there. Yeah, but some of the rules we follow all the way through. And they're not only in the book of Leviticus, but they're in Romans chapter 1, and they're in Ephesians chapter 4, and they're Hebrews chapter 9. You know, it's not, the Word of God never just has a sin and it only shows up one place. It shows up over and over and over again. It says that they're going to be destroyed will be destroyed in their destruction, suffering wrong as the wage for the wrongdoing. They're not going to get to heaven and be able to be a victim. They're going to get to heaven and they're going to be charged guilty because of what they chose. Okay? What we're so used to the victim card saying, you don't understand the distress I was under, that's why I stole all that money. You don't understand how bad it was, that's why I gave myself permission to murder that person. That's not going to work before God. You're not going to be able to go to God. I, I grew up in a hard household, God, and that's why I don't follow you. No, it doesn't work that way. There's no victims at the final judgment. But we will all be judged for the choices we made. That was the, the most annoying thing that I did as a parent. Is when one of my kids was in trouble, at some point they'd get frustrated and I'd look at him and say, why are we here? Did, did, I, did I do something wrong? No, I did. So whose choice brought us here? Mine. You know. <laughs> so in verses 13 through 22, the, it just goes on to describe them more. They counted a pleasure to revel in the day. They, they don't even hide sin. They're proud of it. They are blots and blemishes reveling in their deceptions. Because why? Because they're truth changers. They revel in it going, look at how much better we have it. While they feast with you. They have eyes full of adultery. 
which is self-indulgence. They're insatiable for sin. Isn't that scary? What a thought. They entice unsteady souls. They have hearts trained in greed. And then it just says that Peter wrote next, they're accursed children. Forsaking the right way, they have gone astray, which is about you know, manipulating, mocking the truth and changing the truth. They have followed the way of Balaam, the son of Baer, who loved to gain from doing wrong. You know, self-promotion. But, have, but was rebuked for his own discretions. Uh, uh, a speechless donkey spoke with human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. Remember that? When the donkey finally looked at him and says, what's going on here? They are waterless springs and mist driven by a storm. For them the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved. For speaking loud boasts of folly, they entice by essential passions of the flesh those who are barely escaping from those who are in error. They, they, they are on the corner of people that are trying to figure out what to do and they're pushing them in the direction of making poor choices. You know, I, I can remember having some friends when I was especially in high school and, and I was trying to make right decisions and they'd be going, come on! Come with us, it will be fun! This is what we're going to do! Well, I'm not sure that's right. Who cares? You know? They promise them, speaking of the people they speak to, freedom. But they themselves are slaves to corruption. For whatever overcomes a person, to that he's enslaved. They're basically saying, come on, it's free over here, even though I'm completely enslaved by these things. For if after they have escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of Jesus the Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ, they again are entangled in them and are overcome. You know, this is the scariest part. Is this, he's not talking about people that are unsaved sometimes. He's talking about people who are saved, who instead of growing in grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ, end up just taking their lives and train wrecking it in a direction. Have you ever seen this? Have you ever watched this? Have you ever been this? It would have been better for them to never have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to turn back from the holy command delivered to them. You know, the only other time that this kind of a phraseology is used is when Jesus Christ spoke of Judas and he said this, it would have been better that he was never born. And then they end with the Proverbs. What the true proverb says has happened to them. The dog returns to its own vomit, and the sow, after washing himself, returns to wallow in the mire. It's not the most uplifting passage. <laughs> But there is hope in this passage, and here's where the hope is. The Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment. Here, our 
truth choices will either cause us to be put in a position where we have to be punished or they will put us into a position where we are protected. You see, we live in Sodom and Gomorrah today, people. We do. We are Lot. I pray for our high school students and our, our college students because it, it isn't like it once was where there were large groups of, of Christians that you could just hang out with. Sometimes, wherever we are in society today, we're the only ones in the room that love Jesus. You find that in your workplace. Some of you find that in your families. Some of it you even find it in your homes. But I want you to know this. That God sees us like He saw Lot. God sees us like He saw Noah. And God will rescue us. But we have to decide are we going to be biblicists or are we going to be truth changers? Self-indulgence. Truth mockers. Self-promoters. You see, those are the choices that we have. And every day we have to wake up and say, I, I want to grow in the grace and knowledge of my Lord Jesus Christ or, you know, it comes down really to the magnet, doesn't it? I I'm either going to magnify the Lord today or the way I live my life, I'm going to distort what can be known about the Lord by who I am. Let's pray. Dear God, I pray that You would help us to be passionate 